Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to AOA. Thank you so much for joining us, letting us be part of your day. We always appreciate it. And speaking of appreciation, I want to thank my colleague, Jesse Allen, who is in Nashville, Tennessee, at the Cattle Industry Convention. He has a great lineup for you today. He has the show from the trade show floor there at the convention in Nashville. And Jesse, I just want to thank you very much uh, for filling in for me. My wife's in the hospital. I needed to stay home. And you stepped in, and you're doing a great job, and I really, really appreciate it. I know you've got a great lineup of guests today, so we're going to send it to you there in Nashville for the show. Tell us all about what's going on there at the Cattle Industry Convention. Well, Mike, thank you very much. And uh, again, our thoughts are with you and uh, we're hoping everything is uh, okay there at home. But uh, we got a lot going on here at the Cattle Industry Convention in Nashville today. And as you mentioned, a great lineup here uh, on AOA for the show. And we're kicking things off with uh, Senior Vice President of Industry Relations for the U.S. Meat Export Federation, John Henners. John, good morning. Good to see you. Hey, good morning, Jesse. It's uh, great to be seen. So exciting, uh, exciting times here in the cattle industry. Definitely. And I appreciate you uh, being with us here this morning uh, on AOA to uh, talk about cattle and and talk about the relationship with uh, with uh, NCGA and, and corn and, and a lot of different topics. And I think just to start, John, why don't we talk about that uh, relationship? How does USMEF work with both you know, the NCGA and the NCBA and other state associations? Okay. Well, first of all, Jesse, let's uh, give everybody a little information. Uh, we are the U.S. Meat Export Federation. So Entirely what we do is uh, we try to put U.S. meat on the world's table. And it, in agriculture, you have a lot of partners, and we need a lot of partners if we're going to be successful in what we what we do. And um, the corn industry has been a great partner with, with the cattle business, and we're uh, a factor of the cattle business. So um, we work hand-in-hand with the National Corn Growers Association and the various state organizations who you know, leverage their checkoff with the beef checkoff and corn checkoff. And what we do is we try to go overseas and promote U.S. products, whether that's in the form of meat or, or grain or or whatever, whatever it may be. But, um, you know, we're always trying to look at U.S. agriculture and build a strong alliance for what we do here um, in the United States. Well, and, and let's talk about some of those uh, export opportunities. And I know you and I were talking a little bit before we got on the air as well. And there's a, there's a lot of different things to consider uh, with our exports here, and, and not just in the U.S., but obviously globally. So talk a little bit about some of the exciting opportunities that are out there right now, John. Well, you, when you look at the, the world in general, you know, you've got a, a great clientele for protein. So um, if we can add value by sending, um, you know, rich, dense iron-filled uh, meat outside the United States to help some of these countries, we're going to do so. You know, a lot of times uh, when we think about our export business, we're thinking about steaks and and maybe the chalking around and some of those things. But, um, you know, I think one of the best-kept secrets, you know, if you look at uh, a $8 billion export market, nearly a billion of that is considered variety meats. So uh, when the world is willing to pay you more for liver, hearts, kidneys, and stomachs than on, on a beef animal, 
than what you can get paid for it here in the United States. You know, it's a win-win for cattlemen and it's a win-win for agriculture in general. Well, and I know as well, a lot of the Asian countries are, are very big uh, with some of those different uh, parts of of a beef cow. I mean, you, you think about and some of those opportunities that have come about in recent years have been uh, huge for U.S. exports for beef. Yeah, certainly. You know, we always kind of talk, Jesse, you know, you go to a county cattleman's meeting or a golf outing and maybe a, a cattleman's group is cooking and you know, they're having a steak fry. You mm -hmm. know, you, you never see them putting liver on the grill uh, for an event like that. So, you know, you take the markets for liver around the world. You know, you've got Egypt. Uh, and you have Peru, you know, where they need iron. Um, you know, the consumers need iron, the, the children need iron. So we work with a lot of chefs and, and um, you know, trying to build that desire and make that, that product, you know, palatable, palatable to the uh, consumers in some of these other countries. South Africa has been a, a growing market for U.S. livers as well. Uh, you know, that country, um, you know, they desire that taste. They, they like that product. So you know, now it's our one of our top two liver markets here from the United States. So, you know, what we're trying to do is continue to build demand for our products around the world. And, you know, it takes time. It takes effort. you got to break down barriers and you got to have a team that's willing to do it. And we're, we're just proud that, uh, you know, from the meat export side of things, you know, you've got the beef industry, the corn industry, the government, you know, a lot of different entities working uh, uh, all on the same team, you know, for U.S. agriculture. Now, obviously, talking about marketability of U.S. beef exports, how does corn-fed beef improve that marketability, John? Well, when you look at uh, what consumers uh, tend to consume around the world, it's a lot of grass-fed products. So, you know, really, uh, when you look at the United States and what we have available for the world to purchase, we've got that high-quality, uh, great marbled product. And you get that through a couple things. Number one, you have to have the good genetics uh, to put that marbling into that, that meat animal, but you have to feed it right as well. And what do we have available here in the United States? You know, we've got that grass, of course, but then we finish out our cattle in the feedlots. And, and we've got a great sustainability message as well. You know, you know we're uh, working with these cattle. Uh, we're working with the, the corn industry. We've become much more sustainable over the years. And I think that's something that should resonate with the consumers, not only here in the United States, but around the world, you know, just, we're just doing a better job in general from the corn side, from the cattle side, uh, just becoming uh, more sustainable in what we do every day. John, got about a minute here. Any other final thoughts for us or anything exciting you're looking at here through the rest of the calendar year for the U.S. Meat Expo Well, I think Federation? we're on, we're on task right now uh, for a record year in exports as it relates to beef. You know, there's, tremendous opportunities. Uh, we hope that we can continue to look long-term and build profitability into this industry. Um, you know, if we could sell everything at a higher price, um, you know, around the world, you know, it's going to be a win-win for, for um, agriculture in general. So I think, you know, one thing I want to keep in mind, there's so many people helping to do the right things and these checkoffs are so valuable um, to the industry. You know, it's a it's a support mechanism. You know, if we're not out there promoting our own product, who's going to do it for us? You know, uh, advertising, it takes team effort. It takes staff, um, you know, government. You know, we all got to be pulling on, a, on the same team. So uh, if I could just say one thing, we're just pretty fortunate in the United States to have all these organizations that can really work together and, and help put U.S. meat on the world's table.
Well, USMEF, the U.S. Meat Export Federation, and the uh, National Corn Growers Association, two of those organizations that work great together. And, uh, John, I appreciate the time you joining me here on AOA today and live from the uh, trade show floor here in Nashville. And, uh, again, I, I wish you uh, a great rest of the convention. I know you got a busy day today. So, John, uh, thanks, thank you. Thanks, Jesse, for your time. That's John Hinner, Senior Vice President of Industry Relations of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Coming up next here on AOA, we're going to continue for the Cattle Industry Convention in Nashville. We're going to talk with John Linder, the president of the National Corn Growers Association. That's next. You're listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Each and every day, DTN and Progressive Farmer editors are posting unique, original content to their website at DTNPF.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom, covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crops, cattle, equipment technology, and more. You'll find innovative topics like, would you plant soybeans in December? Experiments look at the possibility of boosting yields with early planting. Want to save time? Learn how through autonomous machinery systems. Will there be a surge in feed prices in 2021? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? The editors of DTN and Progressive Farmer are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit DTNPF.com today. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, Veronica Nye, economist with the American Farm Bureau Federation. This is uh, the downside of higher commodity prices, right? That we see these input costs going up. Yeah, that's true. Unfortunately, you know, USDA is projecting some pretty sizable increases, especially in, you know, the fertilizer and chemical side, looking at, you know, when you combine those, about a 5% increase in 2022 compared to 2021. So certainly not a insubstantial increase when you're thinking about the fact that fertilizers and chemicals make up, you know, nearly 50% of total operating costs for corn and beans. And it looks like the costs are pretty much across the board. They are. You know, you sort of look at, you know, the major field crops and and you're looking at somewhere around about an average 2% increase on the operating cost side for corn, beans, wheat, cotton, rice, peanuts, sorghum, oats, and barley. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes. Go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too, through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. 
This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. And back here at the Cattle Industry Convention in Nashville, Jesse Allen in for Mike Adams here live uh, today on AOA as we are continuing our conversation here uh, from the trade show floor with John Linder, the president of the National Corn Growers Association and Ohio Corn Grower. John, great to uh, have you on with us this morning, sir. Well, really glad to be here. This first time that I've had the access to attend to attend this uh, convention and what an eye opener. You know, we've worked at NCJ, we've worked it with Cattlemen for oh, going on four years with a lot of different projects. And so it's really rewarding for me as president to come see that in action. For sure. And, you know, it amazes me as well uh, just to walk into a trade show and, and see the size of it. You know, and I've been to one of the NCBAs before and they just it seems like it keeps growing. Every trade show, it seems like, just continues to grow and grow and grow, John. Absolutely. You know, seven, eight, seven acres under roof, I think, is the number I heard. And they've got a lot of displays outside under tents. So yeah. it's expansive. You're absolutely right. Great show. Definitely. Well, John, let's talk about uh, the relationship uh, between corn and cattle. And obviously, it's a long-standing relationship. So talk to us a little bit about that and kind of the, the how NCGA and, and cattle producers kind of work together a little bit. You know, there are many cattle producers that raise corn, and there are many corn producers that raise cattle. So I'm saying the same thing twice in two different ways, right? But that's a that's a key to something that we have a lot of common interests. We have a lot of common issues. And so working together is something that NCJ and, and CBA have been really striving to. Let's, let's build a foundation where we can actually make things work well for corn producers and beef producers alike. And I think we're really landing there. So our investments are our market development action team, uh, granting money for edu our education series here with the cattlemen. It's it's well received, something we're, work that we're very proud of. And we also have the learning session today at uh, 1230, I think it is. Uh, it's it's going to be a really good session. Folks, folks will take it. Uh, be glad they took the time to attend, I'm sure. Definitely. Well, you mentioned the learning session. Talk about uh, that a little more. Maybe some of the other events uh, events that NCJs uh, you guys are engaging with here this week at the uh, Cattle Industry Convention. You know, when you have the opportunity to get uh, corn grower leaders in front of the cattlemen and have a conversation, and we'll introduce some topics and and uh, hopefully get a little conversation going as well, so we can get some feedback on how we can be better. But you're going to hear from uh, our market development action team members, or the chair and the vice chair. They actually came to present, so that'll be a good one. But, you know, going forward, we're looking for any opportunity that we can. Uh, I had a really nice opportunity to talk sustainability with the NCBA exec meeting. Uh, those board members were very receptive and they're working on sustainability, too. So it's really nice to hit that sustainability top topic together and it was uh, really well received. I think we, we can all be excited because corn is a feedstock, right? It's the starting place for a value-added product beef. And so if we can produce corn sustainably, and we do, and we can multiply that value up the value chain, look at what the cattlemen are doing. You know, 
they they can take that uh, environmentally sound corn product and attain a really efficient feeding, obviously to finish, and then to go so many different directions with uh, the total carcass, such a sustainability story as well. You know that so many parts of that animal are used. There's so little waste, but they get they get to start with uh, great corn products and even uh, higher protein DDGs, which truthfully is a very environmentally impactful way to uh, sustainably raise beef as well. We think about the sustainability issue, and you obviously hit on quite a few things there, um, but I know that's obviously been a hot topic throughout all of agriculture here for the last uh, however many years, you know, it, it's been something we've been focused on and a lot of groups are continuing to focus on that. And I, I know NCGA recently released some sustainability goals and some different things of that nature, but talk to us maybe a little bit about those or just some of the things you're looking at in the future here when it comes to sustainability and how corn and cattle all go together here, John. Well, you're, you're, you're really asking a great question because a lot of folks realize in this landscape, the opportunity to be good stewards is going to be critical as folks want to concentrate on climate and environment and sustainability. So we undertook this effort. It, it really began in a process of 2017. So we weren't late to the game. We were on this and really digging in. So when we were able to kick out our sustainability report, the opportunity then to bring goals out of that that were actually have a nice uh, complement of stretch as well as uh, enticing for the application so we can actually maybe hit the goals and hey, we'll, we'll use metrics and we'll uh, analyze the process and well, if we could actually move on those targets a little higher, we will. But you know, implementation is what we're looking for, but not only with the, the corn producers to hit those goals, but the implementation of carrying it out through our value chain, through beef and through all of our marketplace. So it's it's a it's great. That's how we kind of land with USMEF too, because you know what they can do for beef, and we can do with USMEF to help multiply those uh, values for our value chain. It's it's really important. Well, that's what it's all about, right? I mean, that's what it comes down to is making sure that uh, we provide great value, but also have high quality. And we think about the corn that we grow here in the U.S. and and the cattle we raise here in the U.S. and we see it, and we hear different things from you know producers at trade shows like this. It, it's really, it's it's fascinating to see the continued growth between all of the different uh, commodity groups and the industry folks and everything else to continue to add to that sustainability and continue to um, better what we do here in the U.S., John. You know, we do things really well here, and we are recognized worldwide for that ability. And so everyone really wants to compete with us. But I can tell you, I got to go to a red meat symposium in Tokyo with uh, USMEF, and we got into a facility where they offloaded the containers at the port and got to open boxes of beef. Can't believe the quality. You just you just can't imagine. Randall, open a box, and you want to take it home, throw it on the grill. That's the kind of quality that we ship to the world. And so we're very competitive, but you know we have that sustainability stamp to put with it. So that's going to be really critical. Folks will choose U.S. products if we have anything to say about it. Definitely, John. Um, any, any other thoughts uh, on the relationship between corn and cattle here as we're uh, getting up against the clock? Any other thoughts you have? Uh, just about everything going on here with the industry convention this week or, or that relationship between corn and uh, cattle? You know, we, we do 
produce products that we can be proud of and we do it sustainably. We've talked about that, but you know, there's the synergies of working together uh, with the cattlemen, finding those places where trade, it's synonymous to both of us. I'd, I love shipping corn out of, out of the country, bring new dollars back, but I'd much rather do it through a value-added product that creates jobs and, and opportunities for rural communities as shipping it through beef. So not a better place to be. And that's really where we focus. How do we get there? I should ask you as well, since I have you, I know uh, you being from Ohio, I know the crop's looking fairly good in, in your neck of the woods. I know some of our listeners in, in the north and west parts of the U.S. are, are struggling a little bit. But what are you hearing when you talk to fellow corn growers across uh, across the Corn Belt right now, just about the, the state of the uh, 2021 crop, John? Yes, everyone is talking about the eastern Corn Belt. And we've been blessed and still getting more water. August rains are critical. We've got to a really good place where we're at. But as you go west and different parts to the northwest, yes, that drought it was really, we're testing genetics. We're testing innovation in seed technologies. Folks are saying, I'm surprised how well it's hanging on, but they know they don't have a great crop and I feel for them. It's uh, gonna be a challenge for some, but uh, we're probably still gonna have a pretty sizable crop. We will, we will be able to eat, meet demand with supply, I believe. We definitely will. We're going to get an idea on that crop, excuse me, coming up uh, tomorrow with the uh, USDA reports. There'll be a first peek into that. So, well, with that, uh, John Linder, president of the National Corn Growers Association, I appreciate you joining me here today on AOA from the Cattle Industry Convention. Thank you uh, so much for your time, sir. Thank you. Glad to be here. Again, that's John Linder, the NCGA president, joining us here at the Cattle Industry Convention in Nashville. And uh, coming up here still on AOA, uh, we're going to be talking with Lance Zimmerman from Cattlefax. I know Cattlefax, uh, they have some uh, interesting new research that they are talking about here at the convention. We'll be catching up with Lance here and talking about the cattle markets in just a little while. But first, coming up, we're going to be uh, continuing our conversation with the National Corn Growers Association as we're going to be talking with Kevin Ross. He is the chairman of the NCGA and an Iowa corn grower and cattle producer. So we're going to get some interesting thoughts uh, from Kevin Ross coming up here next on AOA as we are broadcasting live from the Cattle Industry Convention in Nashville, Tennessee. You're listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. A gentle breeze blows across your face as you take a refreshing sip of water, appreciating the stillness of another morning fishing on the lake. The distant gurgle of a stream reminds you of days spent playing in the creek, the cool, clear water rushing between your toes. You love this time with nature. The feeling of putting everything on hold to connect with the world around you. Now, imagine it's all gone. No fish, no lake, no water. One of life's most vital resources, irreplaceably depleted. Time is running out to protect fresh water, and without our love, it can and will disappear. It's our choice. Love it or lose it. 
help protect our freshwater. Visit World Wildlife Fund at wwf.org love. You're listening to AOA. I'm Jessica Benson. A surge in palm oil prices lifted soybeans early this morning, and that persistent strength in soybean oil prices has been one important factor encouraging domestic soybean crush in 2021. Corn is trading modestly higher today, putting a little pressure on those feeder cattle. And tomorrow's WASDE crop production report is expected to lower the corn yield to 177.1 bushels per acre. It's been a quiet start for wheat as well, and analysts also expect USDA to lower its estimate of U.S. wheat production from 1.746 billion bushels to 1.725 bushels, and traders will be watching for other reductions in Russia, Canada, and possibly Europe. On the Board of Trade, September corn is up five at 5.54 and a quarter. December is up four and a half at 5.57 and three quarters. September soybeans are up 12 at 13.60 and a quarter. November beans are up 13 and a half at 13.50 and a quarter. September bean meal is down 60 cents at 3.56.90 a ton. September bean oil is up 128 points at 62.47. September Chicago wheat is down two and three quarters at 7.24 and a quarter. September KC wheat is down four at 7.10 and a quarter. And Minneapolis spring wheat for September is down one and three quarters at 9.13 and three quarters. As for livestock, the country is slow to start this morning, but packer inquiry will likely improve as the day progresses. These soaring boxed beef prices are requiring demand to be met, and cattle will need to be purchased to meet that demand as another week of limited cash trade is likely not possible for packers. As for hogs, traders may be willing to buy back into the market due to the current oversold conditions. And though they're oversold, that's meaningless and a market suffering from uncertainty in demand that's feeling quite bearish. October live cattle are down 15 cents at 127.97. September feeders are down 10 cents at 162.95. And lean hogs for October are up 42 cents at 84.30. You're listening to AOA. I'm Jessica Benson. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. Jesse Allen in for Mike Adams here at the Kettle Industry Convention in Nashville as we continue our conversation with the National Corn Growers Association here at the convention. Joining us now, Chairman of the NCGA and Iowa Farmer and Cattle Producer, Kevin Ross. And Kevin, great to uh, have you on AOA with me this morning, sir. Absolutely. It's a pleasure to be here, Jesse, and uh, great to be in Nashville. Yeah, great to be in Nashville and uh, be here at the convention. And I was remarking earlier just to 
how big this trade show has gotten, Kevin. It's it's impressive to walk around here and and see folks and, and see all the uh, all the great things that are going on in the cattle industry. Yeah, it absolutely is. I've uh, had the privilege to go to you know go to the NCBA trade show here and uh, the conference for last several years and uh as a cattle producer myself just to you know enjoy what they do here and certainly the they put on a great show and have a lot of great uh sessions you know learning centers different uh uh different uh, places along the way where you learn about what they do at, at ncba and the cattlemen's beef board and and certainly in places like usmef as well so um just a, a really great opportunity to understand uh, more about the industry and uh you know take it all in while you're while you're here in nashville exactly exactly well let's talk a little bit uh um Let's talk a little bit about this relationship between corn and cattle. And I know John and I talked about this in the last segment, but you and I could get in this a little bit more. You know, with you being a cattle producer, I feel like you're going to have a very interesting perspective on this. But but talk about how corn and cattle benefit one another. I mean, we talk about sustainability, DDGs, marketing. There's so many different things. I would think that both corn and cattle kind of benefit each other. So talk to us a little bit about that. Give us your perspective on that. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, in a lot of ways we as, uh, you know, as corn growers, um, you know, look at the animal ag market as such a stable, uh, you know, stable place for our products to go. And that's one of the things that, uh, uh, you know, I think for, you know, forever has been in place. It's just stability. And so um, you got to give a lot of credit to the folks that have been out there raising the, the meat proteins for a long time. And um, it's it just, you know, the, the crops and, and cattle. Uh, in this case, go go hand in hand in so many ways. And so, um, when we look at the partnerships and the organizations and how we you know benefit uh, benefit you know each other, uh, you know we're trying to maximize dollars and try to make sure that uh, the producer dollar that's invested in these uh, you know these checkoff organizations is uh, is maximized and, and taken to the you know to the highest level they can to promote their products. And so, uh, for us, that means you know partnerships with folks like the USMEF and uh, as well you know with NCBA and um and the beef board trying to make sure that uh you know people understand corn fed beef is the best and uh for for the you know for my money that's what i'm buying and and we like that to uh uh you know to be known across the world and and make sure that u.s beef is known that way all over and i think uh i think we do a good job in these partnerships and and it's really you know amazing for me as a producer you know to see those dollars and how they can benefit us uh you know on both sides of it whether you're just a corn producer or a cattle producer or uh in our case a lot of folks that are in iowa uh you know doing both Exactly. Well, and, you know, you kind of alluded to it as well, but I, I would think that, you know, a lot of the different various groups working together, these partnerships, they're important because you guys help one another grow. And that's that's what it's all about. Right, Kevin? Absolutely. And, you know, the communication between the groups is uh, is also something that's really key because we, you know, we look at issues in, in a little bit different light and uh, we all you know need to understand how they affect the, uh, you know, the downstream chains and um it, it, when we when we talk about uh you know the corn issues in the world and what uh, what they mean for our industry uh you know we're always looking at how they affect uh you know our our uh, our buyers whether it's uh, here domestically in the US or foreign countries or uh whether it's the cattle industry or others that are consumers of ours um you know we got to make sure that we're having communications and talk with those folks and make sure that we know you know the issues that they're dealing with and how they're going to affect our producers as well so uh, the partnerships are really key and and uh, having those communication line open is is just a big thing for us as uh, you know as producers and and as these organizations come together now you yourself as a cattle producer uh, where do you see these partnerships going i mean obviously you see both sides of the coin as a corn grower and as a cattle producer so talk about the future and where you see some of these partnerships evolving and down the road yeah i know john talked a little bit about sustainability and i and i would say uh, the more you get 
uh, down the road of, uh, you know, of people wanting to know where their food comes from, how it's made and, uh, and, and you know, understanding food labels and things like that, the, the tighter we get that, uh, you know, that chain and, and people can understand the, you know, where it all starts at, which is, uh, in our case, you know, on the farm growing corn and, and, uh, uh, and by the time it gets, you know, fed through the, through the steer out there, then, um, you know, by the time that's all done and gets on the, on the consumer's plate, you know, then we've got uh, that whole value chain, you know, able able to be traced. And I think those are things that uh, today's consumer, um, more and more of them want. You know, if you're me, I just want to go down and have a good steak and, and not worry about where it came from. I'm 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 pretty confident it's going to be uh it's going to be good. But uh, um, anyway, you know, there's uh, just a lot of folks that uh, that want to know, and so uh, I see these relationships getting tighter and and uh, and really you know having more value as we go down the road. And um, the other thing that I think I would I uh, would stress is that, you know, we, we talk all the time in, in uh, rural America, I think, about how we don't have as many uh, of the population and fewer people producing food. Um, and so when you look at the political side of things, you know, we've got less representation. And so the, the partnerships between organizations that are uh, in agriculture really need to be, you know, heightened to new levels to make sure that influence is, is even uh, even greater for us when we get out to D.C. talking about policies. Definitely. And I know there's a lot of things going on in D.C. right now. You bring that up and obviously the Senate passing the infrastructure bill here yesterday. We'll see what it does in the House. But on top of that, there's there's a lot of things that could be unpacked about what's going on in D.C. and and how that all ties back to what's going on in, in rural America right now, Kevin. Yeah, there there always is, and and uh, it's the job of these organizations to make sure that we're looking out for you know the the person back home who's doing the day to day, and and uh, that's why we have members. That's why we have folks that uh, uh, you know understand the value that uh, that we try to bring to them. And um, I tell you, it's it's always interesting the things that go on in D.C. and and uh, sometimes these organizations' job is to kill things you know that that are going to be bad coming their way, and those are a lot of times the things that you don't hear about and. Uh, um, that's a good thing if the producer never hears about a few of those things that, uh, that could have been coming at them. So, uh, I certainly hope, um, you know, we can, you know, continue to, to spread the message out there about how the food's produced and how we, you know, produce corn and beef and, and, um, uh, you know, that, that our legislators can you know, understand the, uh, uh, the good things that we're doing out here in, uh, rural America, putting, putting, uh, you know, good, good meat on the table. I know as well, uh, you know, you mentioned learning and things of that nature, the learning lounge going on today with NCGA. Talk about that a little bit here at the Cattle Industry Convention and maybe some of the other things you're looking to get engaged with here this week, Kevin. Yeah, that, uh, that learning lounge is uh, 1230 to 130 here down uh, down in the learning, uh, learning lounge uh, here at the trade show. And um, we're going to be sitting down with USMEF, NCGA, and, and the U.S. Roundtable for Sustainable Beef. Uh, and the folks there are talking about, you know, some of that uh, sustainability um, portfolio that we're doing as well as, uh, you know, at, at uh, Cattlemen's trying to make sure that, uh, the, the product, pro, excuse me, the, uh, the product is, you know, marketable across the world. And, and when people look at those sustainability goals that, you know, that we're achieving what, uh, you know, what the consumer wants to see. And so, uh, uh, at the end of the day, it's about being able to promote our product. And, and these are, these are things that help us do that worldwide. So we're talking about, you know, marketability and profitability and sustainability all in the same, in the same session. So hopefully it's well attended and, uh, I would invite anybody to show up there and, and listen at the, uh, learning center. Well, a lot of great things going on here at the convention itself. Uh, I should ask you about what's going on back home. Let's talk about that crop. I know uh, a lot of folks are, are watching the Northwestern Corn Belt, and we know the issues there. They're watching the good in the east. Talk about, you know, with you in, in Minden, uh, talk about what your crop is looking like right now as we get into the month of August. 
Yeah, Southwest Iowa looks really good. Um, we've we've been fortunate. We got dried out a little bit in June, but you know, for us in that area, if you you know get that uh, that hot dry at that time, the crop usually gets a chance to root down and and uh, and go find those nutrients that it wants anyway. And uh, it's it's kind of a good thing at that time if you're going to dry out. It seems like so. Um, I'm hopeful. We've got a lot of a lot of moisture out there now, and and uh, like I said, the majority of Southwest Iowa looks really good. Uh, there's always some pockets out there that have had some issues, but uh, but in general, I think it's one of the you know best crops that we've had in quite a while coming on. And you go up and down the Missouri River, it's it's uh, you know a lot of times there's pockets along there that have, have show stress a little quicker and. Certainly a few of those too, but from what I've seen, it's uh, you know going to be one of the better better crops up and down uh, the western side of the state too. Have you uh, been able to travel around any other parts of the Corn Belt here this summer to see the crop, or have you heard from any other folks who maybe are, are having a good crop or having any issues, Kevin? Yeah, you know, similar to what you said, talking to you know a lot of folks, um, you know, in the Midwest. I think uh, the folks that I talk to, it seems like Illinois is going to have a really good crop, and the majority of the state of Iowa. Uh, so you can, you know, you can make up for a lot of issues there and in other areas, but, uh, there's a, you know, pockets in Minnesota and, and even the Northern part of Iowa that, that, uh, are, are pretty tough. And so, um, you got some spots that I think, uh, definitely are showing stress. And, you know, as you talk about the Dakotas and, and certainly not the biggest corn areas in the, you know, in the Western side of those States that, um, that are showing a lot of stress, but man, you feel for the folks out there with the, the pastures and the, uh, uh, and the crops that they do have out there that have just, just been devastated by drought. So. I uh, talked to a lady yesterday that that was telling me some pretty rough stories on uh, on their hay crop out there, and um, you know, just you think about how that transfers and how far that goes into you know into the eastern side, and and, and how much that touches some of the uh, you know real big corn areas of South Dakota, North Dakota, and uh, and even even western Minnesota. Well, when we think about our, you alluded to it with hay crop and stuff, our cattle producers in some of those western states with the drought right now, we, we're definitely thinking about them and uh, and hoping that we can maybe get some rain uh, Absolutely. in parts of the country. That would be very, very big and very beneficial. Kevin, I really appreciate the time today joining us here uh, on the trade show floor for AOA. Thank you uh, again, and uh, I know we'll be, uh, we'll be talking with you uh, later on, but for now, appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Kevin Ross, chairman of the National Corn Growers Association and Iowa grower and uh, cattle producer in Iowa as well, joining us here on AOA. Jesse Allen in for Mike Adams. We are again live in Nashville on the floor of the Cattle Industry Convention Trade Show. Coming up next, we're going to talk with Lance Zimmerman with Cattle Facts as we continue our conversation live from the Cattle Industry Convention in Nashville. You're listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach, and in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. 
They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... (laughs) Hey, listen, it's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. DTN and Progressive Farmer bring producers the best content in agriculture. Each day, our editors post unique content to our website, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. DTN and Progressive Farmer provide insights throughout the year to questions like, what is the outlook for corn yields in 2021? Will feed prices surge? What about land prices? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? For more intelligence like this, visit DTNPF.com. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we examine how the modern cooperative system solves today's biggest challenges. We'll be talking to CHS experts and farmers and ranchers just like you, and we'll learn how cooperatives apply innovation and technology to help co-op owners get more value every day. So join us for Around the Table every Tuesday, or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, farm radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, Michael Langmeyer, Purdue Ag Economist, want to get the latest numbers from the Purdue CME Group Ag Economy Barometer. Kind of give us an overview. Producers are obviously very concerned about input prices. We asked a very general question about whether they expected uh, the prices paid index would include uh, all the inputs used in in production agriculture, both for crop and livestock producers. And and historically, that average has only increased about 2% for the last 10 years. Years, but only 20% of those surveyed think that in the next year it's going to be less than 2%. And so that means 80% of the producers think that we're going to see considerable uh, input price inflation compared to what we've seen in the last 10 years. And, and it's not just cash rent, fertilizer in particular, but there's other input prices also that they're very concerned about. And so I, I think the combination of those two things is creating a situation where the index is lower than certainly what it was in the spring of this year. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Informing America's farmers and ranchers. That's our goal at AOA. 
Each weekday, you get an hour of the latest takes from people who know agriculture, the policymakers, and the people who have the inside scoop on what's happening behind closed doors. People who have their finger on the pulse of Washington and agriculture around the world. AOA is your daily source for all the information you need to stay in the know. Informing America's farmers and ranchers. AOA. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. Jesse Allen here, continuing with AOA, live at the Cattle Industry Convention in Nashville. We are at the uh, U.S. Meat Export Federation booth. We've been talking with uh, folks from USMEF, as well as the great folks of the National Corn Growers Association joining us here today. And also uh, here joining us today, we have Lance Zimmerman with Cattle Facts. Lance, great to have you on AOA with me. Good morning, Jesse. Thanks for the invite. Hey, Lance, I know uh, you guys uh, just the outlook here at the industry convention. Let's start there. I'd love to hear some of the... Uh, the uh, results and some of the uh, the hot uh, hot topics coming out of that discussion, Lance. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we enjoy the fact that usually on the first full day of, of convention, we get the chance to be out in front of folks, talking the markets, talking weather, uh, talking domestic markets, global and the like. And so, uh, you know, if I was to summarize the, the session in a nutshell, everybody wants to know two things. Okay, what's the weather situation going to look like for us the next year? What's the market situation? Uh, on the weather side, Dr. Art Douglas, he's been with us for 45 years. Uh, it was kind of a big deal in this morning's session that this was going to be his last time at convention. So uh, he has an immense respect for farmers and ranchers in the area. Thank them for, for all they've done for him in 45 years. Likewise, the crowd gave him a standing ovation at the end. Um, just a really good feel-good moment in the audience. Uh, but his message was probably one that was still a little bit sober for guys. You know, we all know we've been going through an extreme drought through the western third to half of the United States, up through the Dakotas and the upper Midwest. Uh, his message was one that La Nina conditions that kind of created that probably going to stick with us through the end of this year, maybe even through the winter and into early spring. But some point in 2022, he expects that weather trend to turn. And so uh, a little bit sobering from the standpoint of we're going to be in a drought condition, probably a little bit longer, a little bit drier than we all want to be probably through this winter and see a transition next year. Uh, on the market standpoint, mm -hmm. uh, cattle producers, you know, lots of frustrations over the last 18 months. We all get that uh, emotions have ran pretty high with all the challenges COVID brought us. But our opinion is that the good times that we've seen here lately uh, can be sustained. You know, as long as demand continues to remain exceptional for beef as it has at retail, certainly food service as we've reopened this economy, that cattle producers can have some confidence that the cattle market can have a firm footing under it. We still have some supply challenges, uh, but we think we can kind of work through some of those. Well, you and I were talking a little bit uh, before we got on air and looking at, you know, you obviously bring up the demand side on the markets and that's a huge, huge key. Also looking, though, at just how range bound we've been here for the last couple of months. And I think that's where some of the frustration is, too, not to mention packer margins and everything else for guys. But just looking at these numbers, it seems like, you know, we've tried a couple rallies and it doesn't last very long. And then we pop right back down. Some of that it was going along with the hog market. And then when the hog market kind of fell apart, cattle kind of just said, we're going to settle into this range. And I feel like 
that's got to be frustrating for some guys right now as well. It is. It absolutely is. I mean, bottom line, you know, we've had discussions this week already about price discovery, about market transparency. Uh, the most important thing we need to realize that's been a part of these discussions is packing capacity. Um, we, we have an industry that's hourglass shaped. We have a, a large group of producers with cattle that got to funnel through a very constricted processing segment with a small number of players. Uh, we have the brick and mortar capacity to kill a, a couple thousand head a day more than we are right now. But the reality is we don't have the labor to get there. Uh, trust me, even though the Packers are making a ton of money right now, historically speaking, uh, they're equally as frustrated that they can't get the throughput they need to meet their customers' needs. Uh, and likewise, restaurant, food service, retail, they're nervous because they see a situation where production actually last week was its lowest weekly production on a non-holiday week since March. Uh, they just can't get the throughput they need. And these buyers are nervous the product's not going to be available. So you talk about the range-bound cattle market. The reality is we still have a front-end supply in these feed yards that's market-ready, ready to go out to consumers. We can't get through it. So in some respects, packers are kind of bidding a few dollars above break-even, giving cattle feeders a chance to make some money. If they have a good corn position, make quite a bit of money right now, actually, compared to what they had earlier in the year and even last year, obviously. Um, but yeah, you're right. This is a market that's very range-bound, trying to get a handle on supply, balance it with the good demand news everybody keeps hearing about. Um, and cattle producers can't help but feel like they're getting crumbs and they're happy where they are, but they, they keep seeing it as a missed opportunity. And, and we understand that. When you talk about that corn position as well, and obviously for our corn producers, I mean, there's good prices on the board right now. Yes. Uh, uh, for cattle producers, if they're feeding corn, it could be a little bit of a tricky situation right now. But as you alluded to, there still is plenty of opportunity out there for profitability if you're smart about your marketing. Yeah. You know, the... The rule in cattle feeding, right, is usually buy your profitability, uh, both on the corn and the cattle side. And the last 18, 12 to 18 months have been tough on, on a corn position for cattle feeders. Been great if you're the one grazing the corn, right? Um, we're in a situation right now with corn basically sitting there in the, the lower end of the $5 range, uh, 5 five fifty in that area. For a lot of producers, that's probably an area some are taking some positions on, at least trying to establish uh, a floor price, you know, making sure they at least have some corn secured right now. Um, and we'll see what happens as we near harvest time, see if we put in some harvest time lows. But hopefully the worst of the weather threats are behind us on the corn side. And then we'll see what the cattle markets can do as we get better demand or continue to see this de better demand play out. Well, one way or another, we're going to make sure we get some corn-fed beef out there. That's the whole goal, right, Lance? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, that's our that's our marketing niche. And, I mean, that's played really well domestically for us for decades, right? And it's also playing really well for us from a global standpoint. Definitely. Lance, I appreciate you joining me here this morning on AOA. And uh, thanks for uh, a few of those updates from the, uh, the outlook uh, you guys had here this morning. And I'm sure uh, we'll get to talk again soon. But for now, thanks for the time. Appreciate Excellent. it. Thanks, Jesse. Appreciate the time. Lance Zimmerman with Cattle Facts joining us here on AOA. And that's going to do it for the show today from the Cattle Industry Convention in Nashville. Big thanks to our friends with the National Corn Growers Association, along with the U.S. Meat Export Federation, as well as uh, Cattle Facts for joining us here today as well. Mike will be back with us tomorrow with a great show lined up for you from the studio. But for now, from Nashville, I'm Jesse Allen. And for Mike Adams, you've been listening to AOA.
Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.